0: Uh, Let's pray, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. Father, thank you for a new day with new mercies, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to the truths that are found in Hebrews chapter 2, and we would marvel at this great salvation that you have made possible, and that we have received by faith in your Son. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, if you were here last week, or you're watching online, you were here last week, and you know my phone number, you can text me the answer to this question. Um, Last week, I gave you homework, and it was a simple assignment. Does anybody remember, this is dangerous, does anybody remember what the simple assignment was? I asked you to do one thing, and Jason asked you to do the same thing. You can say it out loud if you have any confidence. What's that? Not read through Hebrews, though that was encouraged. That wasn't what I was thinking. Um, I'll give you a clue. Had something to do with Robert Murray McShane, who you don't know who he is. Ah, we got a winner. I'll just I'll take it from here, Tim. For every, uh, every um, one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. Our big push was spend this week looking and thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done for you, rather than what you need to do. So because you're a little rough on the answer, I'm going to assume that that didn't go so well. So guess what? By the grace of God, we'll commit to doing that this week. Because really, the whole push in Hebrews, there are certainly warnings and encouragements in Hebrews, but the whole push is to help us look outside of ourselves and trust in Jesus. The texts I'm getting, I think, are from people in this room. So thank you, young men. <laughs> I won't name names. Um, but we, we need, you and I need, a greater view of Jesus. And Hebrews, as a whole book, and in chapter 2, that's what we get. We get a, a greater view of Jesus. So we're going to start, we're going to work our through, way through chapter 2 today. We're going to go um, section at a time, we're going to go through verses 1 through 4. And the title of this message is, and you're going to see where I got this in a moment, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. We must pay closer attention, must fix our hearts and minds on Jesus, what we have heard. So point one, we must pay close attention to our great salvation. Verses one through four says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest We drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgressions or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So verse 1, therefore we must pay closer attention, it points back to chapter 1. Well, what did we learn in chapter 1? In chapter 1 we learned that Jesus is far superior to the angels. He's uncreated. He's the one that made the universe by speaking, by creating out of nothing. He is the hope of mankind. And the author of Hebrews wants us and wants the original recipients to lock in on their confidence that they really can trust in Jesus Christ. See, some were tempted to to drift away or fall away or neglect the salvation that we received. Which is why he's, he's, he's urging them to pay closer attention. Now, if if you or I knew Greek, what we would notice in chapter one is the two phrases that are used uh, to describe we must pay closer attention and then the idea of drifting away. They're both nautical terms. They're, they're water terms. They're boat terms. And the idea there, the first part of we must pay closer attention, it's the idea of when you you pull up a ship to a dock and you tie it up um, Because if you don't tie it up, then you drift away. That idea is is the word that's used there, the phrase that's used there, that we must pay closer attention. We must lock it down. We must tie up to the truth of the gospel. We must tether ourselves to Jesus. And then the second part is if we don't do that, what will happen is we'll inevitably start to drift. We'll drift away. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, there's a number of encouragements and exhortations and warnings to not drift away. Now, if you want to do something fun, not right now, but just do a Google search on, um, it seems like it's mostly men uh, who drifted out to sea at the beach. Um, There's quite a few true stories of guys that were in rafts and they drifted out to sea. You can't see this, but on the camera, if you want to zoom in on that. We have basically a lazy river inner tube and then a, a cheap kind of Walmart inflatable boat. Well, this is a true story. In 2015, this is in the LA Times, two men, one floating on a yellow and orange inner tube, the other um, in a yellow inflatable pool raft, ended up miles out of sea, out to sea at the, off of Laguna Beach, where a harbor patrol crew rescued them Tuesday, according to authorities. The pair had been on the ocean for about six hours. So it turns out they were, they were two cousins, and they were just kind of having a day at the beach. And then all of a sudden, they, they kind of weren't paying attention, lost sight, and they had to be rescued. And the one um, was on the brink of dehydration as well. Well, what happens when someone drifts away, it's because they're not paying attention. They're not focused. And by the time they realized they were in trouble, They were out where the waves got bigger, the currents were stronger, and there was nothing they could do. They were yelling for help as boats were passing by and nobody was stopping. Eventually, they got help. Well, the book of Hebrews, by design, is to encourage us not to drift in our faith. God's people, the the idea of a local church, is is set up to encourage us not to drift in our faith, to, to encourage one another, when we're struggling, when we're confused, when we're just getting disoriented, maybe because of life circumstances or internal struggles, we need one another to point us back to the trustworthy captain who is Jesus. And and that's what you see in the book of Hebrews. See, by the grace of God, we must avoid drifting and we must avoid neglecting our great salvation. See, when, if you've trusted in Jesus, you've received a great salvation. Your greatest need in all the world has been met by Jesus rescuing you. You have eternal life. You are going to be with God forever and God's Spirit dwells in you. But what can happen at times is we start to neglect and forget and think other things are more important or other things are greater needs than our sins being forgiven, than being adopted as a son or a daughter by the maker of heaven and earth. And so we neglect. And the thing about neglect that's tricky is it's usually most often very subtle. So I'll use um, just a couple examples just in normal life. So think of your teeth, for example. Um, if you don't brush your teeth a day, no big deal, right? Bad breath, big deal to those around you, but not in the grand scheme of things, no big deal. Your your teeth aren't falling out. There's no major cavities. What happens over time if you neglect to brush your teeth, floss your teeth, uh, take care of your teeth, is then you end up having more significant problems. Kind of a gross example, but it's an example that it shows that it just slowly happens over time. And then probably we've all been there in the dentist chair where the, the, the dental hygienist asks, you know, have you been flossing? And I, I can pretty much 100% of the time say yes. Now I'm just hoping she doesn't ask any other questions because I usually floss right before I go to the dentist. So it's a true answer, yes. But see, when we neglect something, we, we can end up really far away from where we want to be. And and that's why we need each other. That's why the Holy Spirit is in us. That's why God gave us His written Word so that we continue to stir up our faith. Now, the same thing can happen with our fitness. It can happen with relationships. If we neglect to cultivate a friendship or a dating relationship or a marriage relationship, over time, you can drift Far apart. See, God warns us in the book of Hebrews because He loves us. He wants you and I to experience the joy of our salvation. He wants us to experience the freedom of the obedience that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit when we're following Jesus. Uh, A number of you in the room, I think, are, are newer drivers and you think of, of highway signs. So um, this time of year, so as a parent of relatively newer drivers, um, I like to give them pep talks so my, my kids w- would know. Um, and they're thinking right now, we're not newer drivers. So it all depends how you define newer, right? <laughs> um, but warning signs are on the highway are, are for our good. So one that I, I tend to think about this time of year is is a bridge maybe icy side. So they're all over Indiana County. And the reason is because there's air underneath them. So they could be slippery when the rest of the road is not. That isn't to ruin our driving experience. That isn't to um, make us late for appointments. That is for our good. So you don't slide across a bridge and smash into the edge of the bridge. See, warnings are for our good. And the book of Hebrews, though obviously written by a very intelligent and capable Christian, it's not just this big, grand, theoretical, theological paper. It is, it is a book written with an aim, which was to encourage Christians that some had been persecuted, some were under the threat of persecution, some had been influenced by false teachers, uh, they were they were they were tempted to stop gathering together. They were tempted to start questioning their faith. They were they were tempted to stop questioning or start questioning: Is Jesus really the hope of mankind? And they were neglecting and drifting. And the author, who was a pastor, saying, "Don't do that. Find your hope." your peace, your confidence, your solid anchor, foundation in Jesus alone. Now, in the next section, in verses 5 and following, we're going to get a lot more details, which brings us to the second point. We must fix our affections on Jesus, the only hope for humanity. Verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected to the world to come, of which we are speaking It has been testified somewhere. The somewhere is Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Now listen to this sentence. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. So this section of, of Hebrews can be a bit confusing. And um, the author in chapter 1, he, he presented the exalted Christ in all His glory, fully God. In chapter 2, he is showing us how human Jesus is. So he's actually emphasizing kind of the opposite side of of Jesus his humanity and his frailty and he's quoting psalm 8 and it's interesting for some reason the author under the inspiration of the spirit says in verse 6 it has been testified somewhere and then he goes on to quote psalm 8 he knows exactly where it is his point wasn't like i forgot it was the the point is the content the emphasis And what what he's doing in quoting parts of Psalm 8 is he's talking about humanity in general, and then he's going to talk about Jesus specifically. And to understand this section, we need to actually go to the very first chapter of the Bible. See, when God created the heavens and the earth and He created Adam and Eve before sin ever entered the world, He gave Adam and Eve responsibility. And it is captured here in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And that's what this quotation of Psalm 8 is talking about. Verse 7, You made Him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned Him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under His feet. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to Him. He left nothing outside of His control. In other words, Adam and Eve were called to have dominion over the creation. They were the pinnacle of creation. They were called to cultivate and govern um, God's creation. But you don't have to be alive very long either then or now to know, wow, it doesn't seem like it's gone very well. seems like things are out of control. Things like the weather is out of control. Human behavior is out of control. Um, everything is kind of out of control. And that's why the author says, at present, we do not see... We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Well, what happened? Well, what happened is in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God's command. And from that, sin entered the world and corrupted the world as we know it and corrupted human nature. And so every human after that point, the exception of one, was born with a sinful nature was born with a propensity to rebel against the God who made them. And this is where Jesus comes in. Because all mankind, not just Adam and Eve, failed to accomplish their God-given purpose. So in verse 9, he's going to transition from talking about humanity in general to Jesus specifically. So look at verse 9 of Hebrews 2. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So, by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. So we just celebrated Christmas a few weeks ago. The incarnation, God becoming man, is what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. Jesus came into the world to do what Adam and Eve failed to do. To do what only a perfect human could do who was fully God. He came into the world and obeyed God the Father perfectly. He experienced suffering in every way and resisted temptation in every way so that he could actually die as a substitute for our sins. He's the only one who could do it. See, Adam and Eve failed. The Israelites as a people failed. Moses as a mediator failed. The law itself was perfect, but humans failed in trying to keep it. And only one who was fully God and fully man actually could pass the test. Jesus alone is the one who suffered and bled and died as our substitute. Now one of the things that's confusing is verse 10. I'm going to read it and something will jump out to you as I read it. That will that will make you think like is that true? Is that right? I'm not sure if that's right. Verse 10. For it was fitting talking about Jesus that he for whom and by whom all things exist so he's the sustainer of all things, he's the creator of all things and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That Jesus somehow had to be made perfect through suffering. To be made perfect. That should raise a question in your mind. And the question would be, isn't he perfect? I thought he was perfect. So when the Bible has things that I, I like to call knots to untie, like it's a big knot and it, it just seems a bit confusing. The best way to untie those knots is to let the Bible interpret the Bible and to go what, with what is clear in the Bible to interpret and understand what is unclear. What's, what's helpful about this, maybe not to untie, is that Hebrews actually gives us the answer. So we actually don't even have to leave the book to understand this. So from the book of Hebrews, we learn some really important things that help us to understand what this is saying and not saying. Hebrews 4.15, talking about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus can sympathize with every weakness known to humanity. But who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So two chapters later, The author of Hebrews says Jesus was without sin. He was absolutely perfect. So that's going to help us understand what we just read. So it can't be saying that he was imperfect and he had to be made perfect, because here it says he was actually perfect already. Then we have another one in Hebrews 7, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens so he is innocent meaning he has committed no crime no moral crime spiritual crime legal crime he is unstained he was without blemish and he was separated from sinners he was different than all of humanity he is he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So in the Old Testament, even the high priests who would go before the Lord with sacrifice had their own sins that had to be paid for. Not the case with Jesus. So here we know he is absolutely perfect in every way. So in Hebrews 5 tells us, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So he's learning obedience and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So this can't mean that he was trying to clean up his maybe residue uh, sinfulness. No, he was already perfect and he was working that out. He was proving it as he walked through suffering. And then one more verse on the subject. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as a high priest. But the word of oath, which came later, then the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So you could say it this way, according to Hebrews. Jesus is perfect, and he demonstrated his perfection through suffering. He proved it. He didn't earn it. He, he showed it. He demonstrated it. John Piper says it this way. Here being made perfect means learning obedience through suffering. This does not mean that he was once disobedient and then became obedient. It means that Jesus moved from untested obedience into suffering. And then through suffering into tested and proven obedience. So he was perfect when he was untested. And then he demonstrated his perfection as he navigated this crazy world that we live in. And he, he passed flawlessly, perfectly. And this proving himself to be obedient through suffering was his being per- perfected. So that's what the author is talking about. And you might be thinking, why, why, are, we, why are we doing all this? Why, why, why does this matter? Because we need a Savior who is perfect. And we have a Savior who not only is perfect, but He actually experienced temptation and suffering and pressure and hardship and desertion of friends and loved ones and family members and continued to pass the test perfectly. That's your great high priest. That's your Lord and Savior who can sympathize with you in every way. See, he went through it. He went through it so he can understand when we're going through it. You can go to him at all times. And he understands. Look at verse 11 through 13. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God he has given me. So he's quoting the Old Testament there. And he he says something extremely powerful in verse 11 that I think we can miss. For he who sanctifies and those who... Who are sanctified, all have one source. The moment you trusted in Jesus, turn from your sins, you put your faith in Jesus. Doesn't matter what you were doing the moment before that moment. When you did that, you were made holy. You were set apart by God Himself through Jesus. That's what that word sanctified means. If you've been around church circles for a while when you think of sanctify you might think of progressively jesus and that that can be used that's another way to describe our growth changing growth so those of us who have a more colorful background you can go from a moment in time where you were you were doing bad things and the lord convicted you and you turned and you trusted and in that moment you were declared holy you were declared, the Bible even says, a saint. Depending on your church background, when you might think of saint, you might think of like the hall of fame of those who were the closest looking to Jesus. But in the Bible, in the New Testament, the use of saint is, no, a saint is someone who has been set apart and made holy by the shed perfect blood of Jesus. That is you and I. That is the incredible crazy reality of this free gift of salvation. See, this is what makes Christianity so unique from all other world religions and philosophies. Whether it's a a world religion or a philosophy, you can sum them up basically in this, this simple way. You do a certain amount of things or you don't do a certain amount of things and then you are accepted and welcomed in. Or in the case of philosophy, you, you empty out your mind of, of, of a certain number of things or you fill your mind with a certain number of things, then you are going to have inner peace. The problem is all of those things have to do with what you have done. And the, and the, the kicker is all of us are going to fail. Pick any other world religion. Pick any other philosophy. Nobody can do it perfectly. That's why Christianity is so unique. We hope in a high priest, in Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, who bled and died for us, suffered in every way. He's our hope. He's the one who rescues. See, we don't hope in ourselves and our ability to keep a set of rules. We hope in the only one who could keep the rules perfectly. It's an incredible thing, and we're not to neglect This great salvation. The month of January, even here in Indiana County, is one of my absolute favorite months of the year. And I'm not even a skier. The reason it's one of my favorite months of the year is because when I was a sophomore in college at IUP, I went home for break, was not a Christian, came back to IUP. And let's say class starts tomorrow uh, on January 17th. I came back on January 10th uh, to basically party and prepare for another semester for an entire week before I had any classes to dodge and think about. And so it was in that moment of time where I had been experiencing conviction of sin. I felt guilty all the time. I had met some Christians. I started reading the Bible a little bit, but I didn't know Jesus And by the end of the month, I don't know the exact day, in January, in this cold, gray county, I went for a jog, and it was late at night, and all of a sudden, it all made sense to me. I I instantly, I don't know how to explain it, understood that Jesus paid for all of my sins. I committed my life to Him. I turned from my sins. I I vowed to, to quit doing certain things, And I was born again. I was made alive. I was forgiven of my sins. And as Hebrew says, I was made holy. I was set apart. Now, I wasn't perfect. I was set apart because I was covered in Jesus' perfect righteousness. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's why we have a great salvation that we should enjoy, that we should have great confidence in approaching God with, and we should tell others about because it is great. Great, great news. He's going to get into this news a little deeper, which brings us to the third point. We must trust in the only one who can free us from sin and death. We must trust in the only one who can free us from sin and death. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He himself likewise partook of the same things. Don't you want to follow someone who who enters the mess? It's much easier, whether you have a coach or a boss, you want to follow someone who has been there and done that. Jesus has been there and done that. He himself likewise partook of the same things. And he's actually done something that none of us in this room have done yet. And that's death that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. See, through Jesus' perfect life and his substitutionary death, he overthrows the grip of Satan, the power of sin, and even the fear of death itself. See, the reality is Christianity is the only faith that can give someone absolute, complete confidence for what happens at the moment when we die. Every workspace system, you would be right to think on your deathbed did I, did I do enough? I'm not sure if I did enough. I wish I would have done more. I could have done this. I could have done that. No, the moment you and I are on our deathbed, if you know Jesus, you can have great confidence. Take those 10 looks at Jesus. For every one look at ourselves, well, maybe I wish I was a better dad or a better husband or a better, for me, a pastor or a better friend. But then I can think, no, my only hope is is in Jesus, perfect friend, perfect savior, perfect follower of God's law. And that's our hope. We do not need to fear death. If you watch the news right now, there's a great fear of death and sickness. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be responsible. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be safe and take precautions. But if you are a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of it. God, in His Son, has conquered sin and death. Let me remind you, this is what Paul said about the moment he would die. 2 Corinthians 5.8. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be Absent from the body as a Christian is to be in God's presence immediately. We will live forever as believers in Jesus. Paul says this in great detail. I remember the first time I heard this section of 1 Corinthians 15 read to me. I was a college student. We were part of a campus ministry. And one of our friends who was part of the campus ministry Her name is Becky. She went home for the the weekend, had appendix pain, and ended up dying um, over the weekend. And she was a Christian. She had trusted in Jesus. It was devastating. It was sad. It was shocking. And I remember Bob Santos, who's preached here a number of times, sure didn't know what to say, but he read this passage that just stamped into my mind my young Christian faith. Okay, no matter what happens, we don't have to be afraid of death. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, Where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't have to be afraid. Now the pain, the sorrow, the sadness, that's, that's right to feel those things. But you don't have to fear. If you are in Christ, he has conquered death. He has conquered the fear of death. And what awaits you and I who have trusted in Jesus is unimaginably glorious. It's, it's going to be a, a place where we are in God's presence, where we will see Jesus face to face Where those of you who have had a hard life in this world, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more physical pain. There will be no more emotional pain, sadness, and sorrow. All swallowed up. And that's why the author of Hebrews is spending so much time with these technical things. Because these technical things are the the foundation and the anchor for why you can have absolute full assurance of your salvation. The final thing he wants us to know in this chapter, which brings us to the fourth point, is we must continually run to the only one who is full of mercy. See, the one who helps us is full of mercy. The rescuer is is merciful. You know, I've never been in a a place where a firefighter or a police officer or a trained rescue person had to rescue. But oftentimes, and I and I think this is probably accurate. If you you see it in the news or you see it in, in the movies, they're they're all business. They're they're there not to to make friends with you. They're there to pull your body out of a building that's on fire. They're to stop you from drowning if you're in. Water that's just raging. Uh, They are all duty and business. And that's okay. I mean, that's who I I don't want to make friends with somebody if they're rescuing me from drowning. Um, But in Jesus' case, He's everything. He's all of these things. And He is full of mercy and compassion. And why I want to underscore this and why I believe the author is underscoring it is so that. No matter where you have been in your relationship with Jesus, you would know you can move towards Him today rather than keep moving away from Him and His people. Run towards Him. He is filled with mercy towards you. Look at verse 17 and 18. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, if He's going to rescue us, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. He's a merciful high priest. He's filled with mercy. You think of our our legal system. It's it's a legal system. It's it's built on the law. And so if somebody fails to keep the law, they get justice. And that keeps a society safe and functioning. But in Christianity, we don't want a justice system. We want a merciful system that is both just and merciful. And in Jesus, he is both. He satisfied the justice of God by hanging on the cross and paying for our sins. And he demonstrates the mercy by raising from the grave and offering forgiveness and salvation to all who look to Him. He's filled with compassion towards you. So my appeal, my my plead, is to keep running towards your merciful high priest. Now this word propitiation, it's a big one, but it's really important. We have a merciful and faithful high priest who made propitiation for the sins of His people. So rather than there being animal sacrifice that uh, worked for a bit and then had to be done again and again and again and again, when Jesus was our propitiation means he absorbed the wrath of God upon himself. The holy hatred and fury for every sin was credited to Jesus and he absorbed the wrath of God. And anybody who looks to him and hopes in him, that wrath is removed from us and placed on Jesus. That's at the heart of the good news of the Bible. And so you have a Savior you can run to. And if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, He's your only hope. He is your only hope. And believe me, I understand when when you feel like, oh, I feel so guilty. I feel like I, I can't approach Him. I can't come to Him. I can't, I can't even look his way because of who I am and, and what I've done. Jesus would look at you filled with compassion. He even said this about himself. He said, he said I'm the, the great physician. You think about it, You don't go to the emergency room or to a, a surgeon because you're okay. You go because you're on the brink of death and you need help. But Jesus tells us to come at the brink of death, at the moment of the peak of guilt, and he will forgive you and cleanse you and change you and make you new, make you an absolute new creation. See, it's never about what you need to do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. I want to close with this final verse. This is Jesus' very words. And I want you, as I read these, I want you to ask yourself, in your mind, do I really believe this? Do I really believe these words I'm about to read? And do do my actions demonstrate it? So do I believe it, and do my actions demonstrate it? I think you'll see what I mean in a moment. So this is Jesus himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I Will give you rest. Do you believe it? And are your actions proving his words? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you believe he is the one who can give rest for your souls? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's continue to pursue and run after our great Savior, and not neglect this great salvation. Let's stand. I'm going to pray, and the band can come up. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help everyone watching and everyone in this room to really believe you are who you say you are, Jesus, that we can run to you, we can come to you, And you welcome us and you are the source of joy and peace and hope, forgiveness and mercy. Holy Spirit, we also pray for anyone who is fearful of death. That you would comfort them, you give them hope that would be supernatural and completely outside of themselves as they look to you. As we sing this final song, would you remind us of your incredible pursuit of us when we were dead in our sins? lost and blind to you and you you surprise us with your love we give you all the praise and we ask this in your name amen